The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. There is a poll in today's Irish Times. Barbara, I might start with you and get sure. your view on this. This is a, a, a poll in respect of the potential um, presidential bid from Bertie Horn, the one that he has been very circumspect in not ruling out because it's a very long way away and sure, who knows what could happen in the intervening years. What this says is that, I think, what is it, 51% say, not a hope. (laughs) This is like kind of part of the resurrection of of Bertie Ahern. Um, Yeah, and I mean, this, I don't think, certainly to anybody my age, I don't think that this is any surprise at all, that more that that the majority of people who were surveyed, 51% say they would absolutely, definitely not vote for Bertie Ahern in a presidential election. And a a further 14% say that they would probably not vote for him, depending on who the other candidates were. Um, So not good news, but no surprise. I have often thought in this country that the people in these kind of issues tend to be way ahead of the politics. And I think that we have set the bar very high for our presidents over the last uh, um, three presidents. And I don't think that Bertie Ahern, and I do believe that he has a place in history. I think the work that he did around the Good Friday Agreement was really hugely important and should never be taken away from him besides all the other stuff that he's also known for. Because <laughs> this this poll looked at the perceptions of Bertie Ahern as well. Um, uh, and in the perceptions, only 5% associate him as being the Taoiseach that, that during the boom over oversaw the, the booming economy. Uh, 23% uh, can, it, their perception is that he was the Taoiseach who drove us into the crash. <laughs> um, These two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes, indeed. And 25% then talk about the peace process um, and then uh, somewhere a, a little bit more than that association with his financial irregularities and the Mahan Tribunal. Um, but he's not presidential material and I think the people know that and I, therefore I think that uh, this poll is not a bit surprising. He's not presidential he material. absolutely is not presidential material. We need for a president and as I say because the bar has been set so high and you made reference uh, when we came into studio about the philosophical nature of a lot of these stories today that's the kind of thing that we need in Oris Anuthron and Bertie Hearn is a negotiator and a fixer but he's not a philosopher and I think we need somebody who's on a different level for a president. Well, you might not get a Michael Deeft level of philosophy coming out in 2025, which, by the way, as you pointed out, Anton, here we are talking about it. Uh, I think it's sometimes interesting how we talk about in advance the U.S. presidential elections in 2024. But now here we are talking about the Irish presidential election for 2025. And yet, is it philosophical or is it being able to be more statesmanlike in some situations? And I think that is something we go back to the Good Friday Peace Accord that he does have in his quiver. But the point that may I thought was most interesting to me here is the younger voters who had zero opinion whatsoever. Why? Because he's not on their radar screen. A lot of the things that we're talking about now, like Good Friday Peace Accord even, happened so long ago. And yes, the different controversies and different things as well, that people don't even necessarily that age group know who he is. And so to the bigger point is, who are the other candidates going to be yet to be seen? Oh, a mix and, and gather them of God knows who. And like whoever has like notions. Last time like. in 2018, there was quite a, an array. But, but I was having, th- is there going to be someone, since it's for sure not going to be Michael D this time, as far as I understand, there is that no, thing that's, called that's term. That's he's, done, yeah. he's done. It's two terms, seven years. And yet, who's going to be in the new field if there is someone newer who's going to captivate the imaginations and does have that ability to speak well and 
and have the philosopher's stone. <laughs> That's I, where the smart money's going. Mary McGuinness was another name. Possibility. That was I think Brian Tuberty has, in, a, has a, a hankering <laughs> as well in that direction. I'll, I'll tell you who I'd vote <laughs> for tomorrow. Withhold comment on that. <laughs> I'll tell you who I would, I would like to see in Orsonic Throne. That is a Meldamay. Indeed, yeah, that's, that's true. It, it would curtail her touring slightly. But here's the thing. Any kind of a Coming back from ceremony. the lunatic fringe of who may throw their hat in the ring. Sorry, Melda May is not on the lunatic fringe. I apologise for Melda May. Sorry, and to you. <laughs> the thing that I don't get in this, and it, it niggles me, is nobody knows politics, or very few people know politics, as well as Bertie Hearn knows politics. He, he's not a naive. He has a bucket of experience yes, yeah. in the area. He knows how to get elected. And if he's allowing himself to be mentioned in this circle... So you see this as a strategic well, long Well, I wonder, finger. does he know something that we don't? Okay. He doesn't. Well, thanks for considering my notions so carefully before you dismiss it. That was a very Moving quick, quick summary no, I mean, dismissal the, right there from Barbara. But I mean, is the presidency now kind of... So I know it is political, but is it kind of also... It operates on a different well, the level than the kind of dirty it's statesmen or statesmen with the exactly. non-gender specific use of the word it is about the ceremonial positioning of that of that uh, that position but it's also more than that it's also about again like it is also about it being a representation of Today's Ireland. Well, that's okay. Well, and that's I think that's the where he's yesterday's and then today's piece. Like, let, let's not together. overblow this a bit. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't wish <laughs> I to think demean that's the, the office, but steady. Though, wouldn't it be? <laughs> I think that's most people <laughs> see it as they want a president that they can be proud of and that encapsulates the best of Ireland. And I think that Michael D did that. I think Mary McAleese did that. I think Mary Robinson did that. The I man, don't think Bertie Hearn's going to do that. The man who started IKEA wrote a, a, a little book. It's about a twenty-page book that I really enjoy. It's called Testament of a Furniture Dealer. But at the end of it, he summarizes the IKEA philosophy. This is why I love coming into this show. <laughs> yeah, here we go. We're going to be talking about into that. essentially yes. three yeah, or four things, which boil down to show up on time. Don't lie. Say what you're going to do or do what you say you're going to do and don't park in the customer parking. Was so you, right, That's what we want from the president. No, that's not. basically that's, it. Show up on time. Don't lie. Don't park in the customer parking. All, that was exactly the kind the of basic, thing that was the way the presidential office was treated up until we elected Mary Robinson. And find someone Robinson. else to put your flat packs together. Exactly. But I mean, the presidency was, was up until Mary Robinson seen as a kind of a present for being a good yeah, lad, like to the park and, and have that's a where the Bertie Hearn fits in. You're a good lad. You did great work mm. on the old Anglo-Irish agreement and or the the Good Friday agreement. So off you go to the park there now and go to all the nice. And so there are many more polls yet to come between now and then. So let's see what happens. Watch well, while space. we are dealing with the uh, big philosophical issues, the <laughs> other story that's interesting this weekend is the possibility that we are going to see weddings and funerals uh, starting apparently in the archdiocese of Dublin, but then beyond that being presided over predominantly by lay people in the not-too-distant future. Well, or will they be in churches at all, lay people or no lay people? I think, as I read this from my perspective of being an advocate for separation of church and state and watching more progression and evolution of tradition in this country, I think that this is the the future. I think this is absolutely... And I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing to be able to be giving more... The whole idea of the laity back in the early days of the of the Catholic Church, they weren't even allowed to do anything. And there was like this whole separate sect for all for all of them. And so to be able to even at this point in 2023 to bring them in and give them more 
responsibilities and allow them to be officiating weddings and funerals and that sorts of thing. I certainly think that's a good thing. And especially when you're looking at dwindling numbers of attendance in all facets of religion, to be able to make it more open to the common person is one way to start to maybe bring Is it not a sort up. of a, a defining nail in the coffin for the Irish Catholic Church? Because when you talk to priests, as I have on this program, they, they talk about the phrase hatch, match and dispatch, that that's now the core tasks is birth, marriage and, and funerals. If you strip them away, what do they do? Look, the whole idea of the church in theory, any religion, is to be bringing communities together. It's not just supposed to be about power and about money. It's supposed to be helping and bringing communities together. And when that facet is gone and it's not trusted, then there are other things that need to be determined. And I think that's something that should be looked at more deeply than who's officiating a wedding and a, and a funeral. I think this is I think this is actually very interesting. And I think that... Um, I think a couple of things like number one is clearly the church is dying as in they don't have enough priests. The, the average age of priests now is 70. Um, so, you know, is that in, so? that's the average, that's age, the average age of oh. priests in the Dublin diocese, I think, um, is 70 years of age. And a lot of parishes are operating without a full time priest. They're sharing priests between right. parishes. So clearly there is a problem within the Catholic Church. And I would be the first one. I mean, I do not any longer consider myself a member of the Catholic Church. I have huge problems with with the Catholic Church and lots of different, obviously as a woman primarily, but on lots mm-hmm. of different levels. However, funerals are the one thing that I still think nobody does like the Catholic Church. And I have had experience of two close nobody funerals in the last... Nobody does it like Ireland. Yeah, well, we do death particularly <laughs> well. But I've been at humanist singular. funerals and I've been at more kind of, uh, you know, le- non-religious services. And I've had two close enough funerals in the last year. Mm. And, they bu- and I have said to my own children, I know I hate the church and I give out about the church and I have no time for it. But actually, unless I change my mind between now and then, <laughs> I actually want a Catholic funeral because Isn't I think there is something about the solemnity and the ritual um, well, the that is very, is, very comforting. And yes. this is the, this is where if I was a strategist for the Catholic Church, I'd be saying this is the only place where they can try and grab some of the audience back in, because I think there's a bit of a vacuum. I think that, you know, a lot interesting of strategy. Are, Let's get our audience as they're dying. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, but I do think, you know, there's, there's this whole big burgeoning industry of celebrants now. You know, people who are training as celebrants and are officiating at weddings and mm-hmm. at, at funerals that aren't religious. And I think the church are looking at this and going, you know, uh, we need to do something. So they're trying to bring in the lay people to, to cover. But see, hang on for a minute. Is, is, there not, on is there not an intrinsic arrogance in all of this that the church actually cares about little old Ireland? If you're in the Vatican and you're looking at the Catholic Church as a body, you are looking to the developing world where the Catholic Church is having a whale of a time and a roaring success and there are young priests and it's all going grand and you don't care what happens in Ireland? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But again, I mean, I, I have a very cynical view of the church as an organisation and there's still an awful lot of money uh, tied up within the Catholic Church here in their land and in their property and, you know, religious orders as well as the actual church itself. So I'm not sure that they're ready to kind of uh, go, oh, we don't care about Ireland just yet. And the other question that this uh, brings up in my mind is these people who they're trying to get in, these lay people to, to act as, to, to officiate at things, are they going to be paid or are they voluntary? 
and Megan, although they weren't called that. Gina, for them to continue to monetize their position and fame, they need the US to love them. Is the South Park the indication that the Rubicon has been crossed and they are no longer popular in their adopted home? Well, you could also argue that the Rubicon of South Park's influence has actually been a little bit jumped the shark in these days. too. There's not a lot of young people that pay attention to South Park. It's, frankly, it's more our generation. I hate to say that. However, the fact that you do get parodied and you do get caricatured, as they were, as you mentioned, is certainly an indication that this idea and the we've got the book, we've got the six-part series, we've got the this, we've got the this. Enough already. Live your lives. And as you were saying, be good in the charities that you were espousing that you were going to be really active in and walk the talk. And I think in the U.S. especially, there are loads of celebrities to be looking to for influence and for celebrity fame. But so the I money, Gina. That well, the money is certainly there. I'd say the money is lovely. And the, there's lots of it for them if they well, keep doing but, what they're doing. But they, but they had the money already. So is it really just about the money? So this, in all seriousness, they, they had... Prince Harry had loads of money when he decided to make the decision with Meghan to go to Canada and then go to, to the United States and raise their family the way that they are and make the book and things like that. So I don't know that it's not necessarily money-driven. Frankly, really, I, I would say that at this point in the world of what's the legacy of the monarchy versus what's the legacy of these two first people that defied some of those trappings, I would put my hat in the Mar- Mary, the Meghan and Harry camp. There it is, publicly. Not Yeah, no, I'm going to do it. Because... <laughs> I don't know if you can be friends anymore, Gina. It's okay. a artist over here in the corner. <laughs> let me, let me quick, quickly finish the point. I'm not saying that everything that they have done is correct at all. But I am saying that there is an institution that they were trapped in around those old 17th, 15th century rocked walls that they managed to break through and talk about some issues that are never talked about. And some people, some people would say, no, no, but hold on. Some people would say, oh, well, she knew what she was getting into. No, she damn didn't. All right, Barbara. Have at it. I mean, did they break out of the monarchy? Because they still call themselves the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I mean, if they really did break out of the monarchy, they would have dumped all of that and stuff done, and, and walked away and did all their nine to five jobs like any working no, stiff. No, they it. could have still done their Netflix and their all of their 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 podcasts and their interviews and on write his, his book and all of the rest of it. But I just think, and I mean, I'm sure you have a very interesting take on this because I think from <laughs> a the, from a communications Anton. or a, strate- a strategic point of view, they seem to have very very efficiently back themselves now into a corner where um you know they're looking for things that aren't going to happen and so what are they going to do because they the the only thing they have to trade on is their royal connections so they actually haven't i don't but think but can we go to the other side of it if you are the new king charles and you are looking at the coronation what do you do about the pair of them because they're going to get all the attention this is his day it's when he gets to wear a nice frock, put on his hat, do the whole thing. They're going to get it. Whether they show up, they'll get the attention. If they don't show up, they get well, the attention. Well, I'll make a prediction. So, I would imagine that Prince Harry will show up. And I don't think that Meghan... It's Archie's birthday on the day of the coronation. His fourth How do you birthday. know that? Because I read the article. Fair play. In detail. <laughs> in the taxi. The on the way in. 
I don't know it's because I have it in my diary saying she it's Archie's you, birthday. She send you cake cards. Card. You yeah. know she is. See, you give me a hard time for celebrating them, but yet you're the one who knows when Archie's birthday is. It's and the Lilibet. No, the idea in 70 days, I, I share the prediction, is that there will be an invitation without an apology and Harry will attend. Well, again, in the article, it did say that Harry has an open invitation because he is still a member of the royal family. Um, even, you know, he doesn't actually need the gold thing, an uh, invitation to come. He has an open invitation to go anyway, even though he's not a working royal, um, that he has an open invitation to go. So I would imagine he'll show up and I would imagine that he'll leave um, Mrs. Mrs. Harry. Um, well, you, you would be, be glad to know, Gina, that there seems to be a fair degree of support for your position. You oh. are being a bit cynical. Maybe Harry Harry and Meghan just want to support Charles on his big day. Another, Harry and Meghan have every right to be at the coronation just as much as William and Kate. While we're wading into the culture wars, one last one before I let you go. Enid Blyton and the famous five were about to get the same treatment as Roald Dahl got and then ungot. This is, Barbara, the removal of words that at the time were common and are now offensive. <laughs> this melts my brain absolutely and completely um, because, you know, as, as somebody who's been a fan of books since the time I could read, I hate, like, my initial reaction to all of this is stop, leave it alone. You know, they're of their time. Words have changed meanings. You know, I mean, the word queer is used in, in Ina Blyton's writings all over the place to mean odd, not to mean gay. Um, so to take that out kind of removes them from the period in which they're set, blah, blah, blah. And some of the changes are absolutely hilarious. Like I know in one of them, I think it's in one of Roald Dahl's books, Augustus Gloop is not, he's not being described as fat. He's being described as enormous. Now tell me like, like how is that really, how is that an improvement? A, I find it <laughs> one who also makes my living in words and studies. And I like the idea of the progression of language because language yeah, is a living thing. It is. And so if we get stuck on, oh, it should be, it should be queer for any kid who reads that book today. That has a different connotation. And if you're using the word queer to equate to odd and a child is reading that, then what are, how do you then strip it away and say, no, actually, that doesn't mean that. It means it means something different. It's a very tricky task to go. And I can see what the Ian and Blyden publishers are saying saying about and how they're saying they're going to say where they are. I would put a prediction, though, in that they will ultimately take out a few of those words, maybe not all, maybe not change brown to suntanned. I mean, why is brown pejorative? That can just be a descriptor. People of color, we have the word black with a capital B. That is okay. But that is, I think, a really, I love the idea of discussing this and unraveling it and picking it apart and trying to reconstruct it in a way that's positive. I also, by the way, detest the word woke as an excuse to not be kind or not be considering things. I don't think that it should be so, so prescriptive, but I do think it should be examined and explored. And I think it's really powerful. Saying you can can't describe somebody as having a great horsey face though is a bit much isn't it like <laughs> Great description and colourful wording shouldn't be didn't mention sacrificed on the altar of everything needs to of be wokeness. Gina London, uh, leadership <laughs> communications expert, Sunday Indo columnist, former CNN anchor, and Barbara Scully, author and broadcaster. Guys, thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.